What a difference being in government makes as the NDP pull a U-turn on LNG. We'll talk about that and more with Global VC's Keith Baldry, the Vancouver Sun's Vaughn Palmer, and CTV Vancouver's Binder Sachin. The LNG about face has not made the Green Party very happy. Later in the show, leader Andrew Weaver joins us. Accountable to you. This is Inside Politics with Shane Woodford for Kamloops Computer Center on Radio NL. Good morning and thank you for tuning in. Pleasure to be joined on the phone as we are every Friday by Keith Baldry, Vaughn Palmer and Binder Sudgeon. Uh, in opposition, guys, uh, we all know they torched LNG as an intergenerational sellout among some other colourful descriptions. Now in government, a uh, bit of a change of heart. Binder, why don't we start with you? Uh, what's with this uh, new outlook on LNG? Yeah, uh, we heard from uh, John Horgan yesterday and also had a briefing before that. And really, government officials seem to say that um, previously we heard from John Horgan that the liberal tax cuts that they had proposed uh, for LNG went too far. Yet the argument yesterday seemed to be that they didn't go far enough to promote investment. So the NDP saying we're going to do that so we can get at least one project hopefully in place. So when I heard that, that kind of struck me as being a bit strange and went back and looked at this NDP opposition release from 2015 that slammed the then Liberal government for giving foreign corporations tax breaks while regular families in British Columbia had to pay more. So they were taking issue with the LNG income tax being cut from 7 to 3.5% and then being locked in for 25 years. Yet now they've cut the tax. Mm. And yesterday when we heard from Andrew Wilkinson, his criticism was families are paying more in taxes and now the NDP is giving away tax breaks to foreign corporations. Keith, I was watching you on Twitter yesterday. Uh, you kind of uh, had a take that this was a, a smart move by the NDP. Well, I think it's a smart move. It, it does open them up to criticism, as Vinder points out, of sort of being hypocritical on their previous positions. But I think what we're seeing is, you know, the NDP spent 16 years in opposition. Uh, that's a long time. And you end up uh, uh, create, or taking positions that have really nothing to do with being in the government. Um, you're just an opposition party. You have to criticize the government. You're, everything the government does is wrong. Uh, you're relentlessly negative. You get into government, you've got to look at things differently. And certainly, you know, I talked to a couple of cabinet ministers yesterday just wandering the halls and said, well, you know, made the point that John Horgan made in that news conference yesterday. Today you're seeing the business of government. And they're not in opposition anymore. They're a government. And they have to make decisions through a government lens. And so despite their criticism in the past, uh, they I think this is a smart business move, potentially, if they can get this, this company, LNG Canada, set up shop in B.C., that's a huge, historically large uh, private sector investment. So just as we saw on the site, the decision to build the Site C Dam, it had nothing to do with their opposition position. It's everything to do with their government position. So we're going to see other things like this uh, going forward, where you're going to see other issues that the NDP opposed or took a position in opposition are going to fundamentally change to precisely the opposite now that they're in government. So, you know, hang on to your hat. You're going to see more flip-flops like this one. <laughs> uh, Vaughn, does economics play into this? Uh, I mean, we're not that far removed from a budget that's uh, okay, uh, but there's definitely some storm clouds on the horizon. Does suddenly LNG money seem a little more attractive? There is, yeah. Shane, there's an opportunity here, and I think that's the main thing. Uh, there's been a change in the last 18 months in terms of expectations for global NDP, uh, sorry, LNG sales. Uh, the LNG market is improving because the Chinese are buying a lot more LNG, 
and you've got a big project already the, some of the work has been done some of the approvals have been done they're in Kitimat, uh, 40 billion dollars a terminal a pipeline and a chance for british columbia to start selling its natural gas resource to asian markets india china our competitors are already there and you know for the government to just say nah we're not interested because of what we said in opposition would be well, you, you wouldn't be getting the charges of hypocrisy, but you'd also be turning your back on a huge possibility for British Columbia. It is not a certainty that this project will go ahead, but I think for the good of the provincial economy, it's worth a try. And I agree with Keith, this comment that Horgan made yesterday about, well, this is the business of government. In government, you've got to think about what's good for the whole province. It would be good for British Columbia if we could get into the international market for LNG so we weren't just captive of the Americans. And on that basis, I commend Horgan for what he's done. Yes, he'll take some heat for it, including from his own supporters. But the other thing about Horgan is that if you followed his statements carefully when he was in opposition chain, he never opposed LNG. He always supported it on certain conditions, and I think this decision dovetails with those conditions, even if it doesn't dovetail with everything he ever said bad about the Liberals. Uh, I want to bring Trans Mountain into this uh, into this debate because uh, the Alberta government uh, had its throne speech yesterday in which they, they relied heavily on Trans Mountain and any, any revenues from that pipeline. We all know uh, where John Horgan and the NDP in this province stand on that pipeline. But uh, the Alberta Energy Minister, Mark McQuig Boyd, brought up the LNG news yesterday and basically used it to lambaste the province here for being hypocrites. Here's a little snippet of what she had to say. <laughs> they, in fact, are environmental hypocrites. With today's decision, no Canadian should take BC's opposition to the Trans Mountain Pipeline seriously. BC cannot have it both ways. You can't build your own energy industry and yet block your neighbours, us here in Alberta. Uh, Bender, does, does she have a point or no? Well, she's making the, the environmental argument there, saying, pointing out that uh, if this LNG plant, LNG Canada, if it went through, would mean a dramatic increase to emissions. And uh, John Horgan knows that, and Andrew Weaver was quick to point that out. And she's saying at the same time, it's the, you know, British Columbia saying they don't want an increase in uh, tankers in the waters because they're worried about possible environmental effects. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, Alberta is going to take any opportunity it can at this point to point out anything they see as hypocrisy within the, the B.C. government um, and also to try and knock down some of B.C.'s arguments. So uh, not surprising to me to hear that from an Alberta minister. Mm. Uh, Keith, does this LNG framework undermine the Trans Mountain stance or no? Well, you know, the NDP's opposition to Trans Mountain, I think, is solely focused on the potential, the, the impact of any spill of bitumen uh, in the waters of B.C. It's, uh, I, th I don't think it's <clears throat> so much tied as to the, the emissions argument or, or anything else. It's all about the tanker traffic and the potential spill of bitumen. So I don't quite see the linkage between the two. Having said that, uh, Minder's right. I mean, the Alberta government's going to take every opportunity it can to hammer the B.C government on any uh, any 
opportunity to uh, lambaste them over uh, the position on Kinder Morgan. So uh, I think she's the Alberta ministry's taken a bit of a leap to to link the two. But uh, you know, I'm not surprised that she's trying to do that because uh, they're in, they're in a very tough fight with with BC. This is a, this is forget the fact they're both NDP governments. There's increasingly uh, bad blood between these two governments, and it's going to get much more serious going going forward uh, than what, what we've seen in the past. So uh, you know, full on her to take to take her uh, the boots to the government. But I, again, I don't see quite the same parallel between the LNG uh, project and a bitumen uh, p- pipeline. All right, Vaughn, uh, do you agree with that? A, an oil pipeline that ruptures is going to pour oil all over the landscape. A natural gas pipeline that ruptures is just going to vent into the atmosphere. So that's one difference. And the other issue, of course, is that British Columbia doesn't have much oil. All the oil coming through the Trans Mountain Pipeline is going to be Alberta oil. But Alberta and Saskatchewan both have natural gas. The, the irony here is if LNG Canada goes ahead in Kitimat, it really will be LNG Canada. It'll be fed by gas uh, from all three western provinces. So Alberta actually has a bigger stake in terms of an economic interest in LNG Canada than BC does in terms of an economic interest and a resource development interest in the Trans Mountain Pipeline. And, that, and those are two important distinctions as well. Uh, let's talk about Andrew Weaver's reaction. Uh, he was <laughs> and his caucus not terribly happy about the LNG news. Uh, uh, not the first time, even this year, back in January, he uh, basically threatened to topple government if they pursued the folly of LNG. In his words, uh, Bender uh, Andrew Weaver had an interesting half-hour-long news conference yesterday where he was um, I don't know what the word phrasing is all over the map, maybe. Yeah, you know, um, and he said several times, let me be clear, um, I'm being clear here. And to me, that's sort of the the equivalent of when somebody in communications tells you, well, I don't think there's a story here. So if you're having to say that you're being clear that many times, there's a good chance that you're not being clear. Um, So he was saying that he took issue with the emissions from um, LNG. He didn't see how the government could meet emissions targets while also promoting an LNG industry and says he thinks that a detailed plan is coming this fall. He's going to give the government until that time uh, to present its plan and convince the Greens that uh, they can actually do both. And if that doesn't happen, he says the Greens will lose confidence in the NDP. So what does that mean? I think he was asked that about 10 different ways. And we don't exactly know yet uh, what exactly that means, but he is saying that uh, the Greens would lose confidence. Now, the issue is, on their own, the three Greens can't really do much. They would need uh, to team up with the Liberals if they were trying to put forward a confidence vote that they thought that they could topple government in. So um, I think Andrew Weaver probably knows that, so maybe didn't want to go that far, but it's an interesting development. (laughs) Keith, I can hear you chuckling in the background there. What was your take? Well, it was a very entertaining 30-minute scrum with Andrew Weaver. And Vinder's right. We went at him 10 different ways trying to figure out what what exactly do you mean when you say you've, you're going to lose confidence in the government. 
but the reality is uh, there's no confidence votes uh, scheduled for this year. The next confidence vote will be next spring, uh, tied to next year's budget. So there'll be legislation this fall that sets up uh, the LNG uh, file. Uh, the Greens can vote against it, but uh, I'm already hearing from the Liberals that they'll support the legislation. By At least enough of them will support it, team with the NDP to ensure that it passes. So you get over that hurdle. Then we go to the spring. So, you know, is Andrew Weaver really going to take the government down next February or March over this issue? Uh, he'd be... If, if, Particularly, if LNG Canada actually makes the final investment decision and goes ahead and, and, and basically says we're going to spend forty billion dollars in your province, is Andrew Weaver really going to vote against that or take a government down over that issue? John Horgan would love to go into a campaign and say, "I'm a guy who brought a forty billion dollar investment into this province. Vote, vote for me." Uh, I think he'd obliterate the Greens. And uh, it, it, again, the election, no matter what happens in this fall's referendum, the next election will be held on first past the post unless it's held after July twenty. 21. So I think Weaver's, you know, full of bluster and fury, but at the end of the day is not going to, will never have his hand on the trigger, will never pull the plug on this government. He's got too much invested in, what, in the current situation. So he's upset about this, but I, at the end of the day, I don't think there's much he can do about it. All right. Concur, Vaughn? Yeah, I agree. It was very funny. I interviewed Premier Horgan uh, last evening on the show that I host on the cable channel. And uh, when he arrived on the set, I said, Premier, I think the most interesting uh, thing that's going to happen in your office is you're going to get a transcript of that 30-minute press conference with Andrew Weaver and your staff are going to sit down and try to figure out what the hell he's going to do. And the Premier said, yeah, welcome to my world, and laughed, right? It, It really is a strange... 30-minute scrum with Weaver, and it is very hard to figure out what he's going to do. But I agree with Keith. The opportunity to bring down the government doesn't really arise until next year when the House sits and the budget comes in. And look, either LNG Canada will be approved by then, in which case, true, Horgan, if he has to go to the voters, can say, I'm the guy that got a $40 billion investment. If it's back on the shelf, as it might be, Weaver's threat is moot, so I don't think uh, what he said yesterday, I think one of the reasons he avoided really saying what he was going to do is because he doesn't know how this is all going to come out, and neither do the rest of us. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's take a quick break, and we'll continue this discussion on the other side with Keith Baldry, Vaughn Palmer, and Binder Sudgeon here on Radio NL. Radio NL. RadioNL.com. Local. First. For Kamloops Computer Center. This is Radio NL's Inside Politics. Here's NL News Director Shane Woodford. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in. We're talking to Keith Baldry, Vaughn Palmer, and Binder Sajjan here on Radio NL's Inside Politics. Uh, guys, uh, gas price is getting a lot of attention, uh, mainly in the Lower Mainland, where they're really pushing some soaring heights. So, what about a buck fifty or so a liter? I think it's about a buck thirty here in Kamloops at some spots. I'm not sure what it is in Victoria. Uh, the Premier has been asked about this several times, basically saying, uh, in essence, we're keeping an eye on it, looking at our options, etc. Uh, Keith, what options could they have? Uh, can they intervene even if they wanted to? No. <laughs> the NDP uh, government of the 90s, actually, uh, Glenn Clark, uh, when he was premier, made a couple of attempts at examining what, you know, what, what can we do to affect oil prices in, in, uh, in, in B.C. And, you know, trying to figure out why oil costs or why gasoline costs as much as it costs is always a bit of a, a, a challenge for, for people. Right now, the price, is being, the price uh, hike is being linked to the fact that a refinery is down for maintenance south of the border and the other refinery.
refinery in Burnaby is just not uh, big enough to, to process a lot of uh, gasoline. I mean, uh, energy analysts are all over the map on what causes the, the, the price of the gasoline to go up or down. But we've had commissions in this province set by the NDP uh, in the past to examine uh, what, uh, what uh, maneuvers the government has or what levers the government has to get into uh, the price uh, fixing uh, aspect. And they've come up with the conclusion there's nothing government can do. So, you know, the great irony, of course, is that gasoline's going to go up again on April 1st because the carbon tax is going up. Yeah. And if John Horgan wants to look at a way to keep the price from going up, he could stand down the carbon tax, but he's ruled that out. So, no, I, I don't expect any relief coming from Victoria on this one. Vaughn, uh, lots of chatter in uh, some of the media about uh, the Trans Mountain Pipeline's involvement in this, that if we get the pipeline built, that will increase supply and drive down prices. The Premier is certainly not on board with that particular theory, as he made clear yesterday. What, what's your read on that? Well, yeah, I mean, it's true that if we were to bring more oil from Alberta and have a refinery here and could get a new refinery built and approved, there's a lot of ifs there. <clears throat> it might uh, make us a little less dependent on gasoline brought in from the United States might make pricing more competitive, but that's not what the plan is here. It's it's a little like that weird performance we got from the governor of Washington State a week ago where mm. he came to Vancouver and said, oh, I support uh, you Canadians or your British Columbians in your effort to prevent tankers, uh, increase the tanker traffic out of Vancouver. Well, as you are aware, uh, Shane, uh, Ellis Ross, a liberal member of the legislature ever since then, has been tweeting Every day, the tankers going into the five refineries on the American side of the border to deliver oil from Alaska to them. So, you know, it, man, it, first of all, it's complicated. But second of all, uh, yes, uh, in the long run, we probably could affect gasoline prices in British Columbia by being a little more reliant on our own oil and a little less reliant on theirs, but that would take a four-year investment in refinery construction, and oh, by the way, Shane, I guarantee you if somebody came forward and was willing to spend the billions of dollars to build a new oil refinery in and around Metro Vancouver, the citizens opposed to oil refinery construction would be up and running by 6 o'clock tonight. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think there's a lot you can do. And, and look, Horgan knows the energy industry well enough to know that he can't do anything, and this is why he's not saying anything. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I played the audio of Horgan's uh, commentary yesterday to Dan McTagg at com, who laughed out loud at uh, his view yeah. on the pipeline. Anyway, uh, Bender, politically on this thing, I mean, uh, people, uh, you know, this is a good po- sort of a, a populist um, issue. I mean, if people are so upset, especially in vote-rich Lower Mainland, about high gas prices, and and they can the opposition can pin, say, the carbon tax on the premier and make him look like he's part of the problem, I imagine there could be some political fallout, perhaps. Yeah, so 156.9 is what uh, gas has hit in Oof. Metro Vancouver today. Um, and it was sort of strange to me to hear the premier say we're looking at what we can do. Um sort of suggesting that opening the door that they might do something, which I think is a weird um, sort of strategy to take when you're, the opposition is, as you're saying, saying, pointing out that the carbon tax is going out. I don't think the public, though, is sitting around thinking we need the province to step in and do something. Um, so to me, it was kind of a strange thing to wander into. And then when asked about it yesterday, uh, the premier said, yeah, well, the federal government needs to look at doing some things here. So, Yeah, it's an interesting situation. Guys, let's take a quick break to the bottom of the hour, get caught up in the news, and we'll continue our discussion on the other side here on Inside Politics. 
Radio NL. RadioNL.com. Local. First. For Kamloops Computer Center. You're listening to Inside Politics on Radio NL. Once again, here's Shane Woodford. Good morning. Welcome back. Thank you for listening. Uh, we're talking to Vaughn Palmer, Keith Baldry, and Binder Sajjan here on Inside Politics. Uh, guys, a bit of a perfect storm brewing on the public sector union front, uh, starting off with the BCTF, uh, maybe one of the larger ones amongst them, uh, at their AGM this week. Uh, the Premier spoke at that. Uh, Vaughn, I called the BCTF to see if they could answer the trivia question, when was the last time a Premier spoke at their AGM, and even they didn't know. Uh, so interesting times. Uh, friendly government, uh, will that affect bargaining at all? Or no? Well, you know, the one thing I think you'd find if you look back at the 1990s is we had four NDP premiers in the 1990s, and I'm not sure if any of them ever spoke to a BCTF convention because BCTF is often at odds with the government. Uh, they, uh, they, they, were, they were unhappy with the NDP in power, too. So that's one aspect of the history. But the other one is, seriously, you know, the premier spoke to them and said he would respect them. But, you know, Shane, <clears throat> when... When pay talks are coming up and the boss tells you that he respects you, um, <laughs> you know that you might not be getting as much of an increase in pay as you expect. And one of the things that's really interesting to watch is with all public sector labor contracts coming up next year is the new Democrats are trying already to talk down expectations. Many of those unions and their members supported the NDP. They think they're entitled to a catch-up wage increase because of years of restraint under the liberals, but the fact is, the provincial government, if it's got money on hand, they want to spend it on new programs, not providing big raises to people who already work for government. Mm. Uh, Keith, is Vaughn referenced there, it's not just the teachers, the HEU, the BCNU, the BCGEU, uh, basically hundreds of thousands of public sector workers are going into bargaining next year, and on a cost factor alone, that has potential for big trouble, yeah? 310,000 unionized employees are up for contract renewal, uh, 180 contracts. This is a huge ticking time bomb for the NDP because, as Vaughn says, the expectations are high from unions who were sort of shackled by restraint, uh, zero and zeros or you know minimal wage increases at best. One, a 1% increase across the board for everyone is uh, amounts to $300 million in cost to the government. A 2% increase is $600 million dollars every year. The, the surplus right now is hovering a little below $300 million this year, next year, and the year after that. And a, a 1% uh, uh, increase basically absorbs that surplus. A 2% puts the government, government bu- budget potentially into deficit. So this is, this is a massive headache for the NDP. Uh, I talked to a minister yesterday who says this is, this is by far the most pressing problem they're going to have. Dwarfs everything else that they're looking at in terms of a budget uh, impact. So uh, it's going to be interesting. I think there's inevitably going to be some job action. There's going to be some strikes. I can't see the government in a fiscal, in any uh, manageable way, in a position to offer more than 1.5%, maybe 2%, but even that is uh, is getting out there. And, again, we're talking, you know, the doctors. The doctors fought with the NDP in the 1990s in some sort of titanic battles, closing their offices and protests and such. We may go back to those days where the, the doctors of B.C., which haven't had a, a big increase in their master agreement for some time, may be saying, no, we want, time has come. We've got a new government. Expectations are high. But the NDP is in no position to be able to deliver on those ex- expectations. I think things are going to get very ugly uh, next year as uh, contract talks 
inevitably will stall and break off, and we're going to see some strikes. Uh, as we all know, former Finance Minister Mike DeYoung brought in his economic stability mandate when he was dealing with public sector unions. Uh, Binder, any idea what the current government might or might not do with that particular idea? Yeah, I think that was a, meant to, as a sort of a, a bit of a carrot to two public sector employees after keeping uh, wage increases low. So uh, it doesn't look like the NDP has a lot of room to maneuver here. So they may try to keep that and say, listen, if we do better than we expect, uh, then you'll get a piece of that pie too. Um, but, you know, this is a government, as Keith and Vaughn have pointed out, uh, this is a very slim um, surplus that they're working on for the next couple of years. They have a lot of expectations, not just from these unions, but from other people as well. And so it'll be interesting to see how this plays out, but it looks like this is going to be a real big challenge. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder, uh, Shane, if, uh, if what we'll see is a revisit of Carol Taylor's um, plan a few years ago, which was to give bonuses to, uh, to unionized mm-hmm. workers in Instead of a wage increase, because the wage increase is built, it becomes embedded in the budget and never and never leaves. A bonus is a one-time payment, and I think maybe that's uh, that may be the buy-off that uh, that Carol James might be looking at. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Uh, we're almost out of time, but I do want to do a quick around the horn because uh, it's still bubbling away out there as one of the major issues in the province, uh, and the premier has hinted several times recently, including yesterday, that uh, Finance Minister Carol James is working on retooling uh, the speculation tax. I'm expecting an announcement probably probably next week on this, but um, Vaughn, any idea here what they what's in the cooker, what they potentially could do with this thing? The Premier referred to the unintended consequences of the speculation tax, and I asked him last night if that was, the unintended part was that vacation properties of British Columbians, uh, cabins would be taxed, and he said pretty much yes. So I think you're going to see a change in the tax. I don't know exactly how they're going to do it. They certainly aren't going to exempt Albertans. They aren't going to exempt British Columbians. Colombians who really are speculators who own three or four properties and vacant condos in Vancouver. But I do think there will be relief for vacation property owners, perhaps with a, a threshold in terms of assessments uh, that they would just be exempt or that they it would be treated like the homeowner's grant. If you file that you pay taxes in British Columbia, you wouldn't have to pay the speculation tax. And, you know, if they audit you and find out you're not telling the truth, you'd, you'd get a penalty. But I mm. do think there's some kind of relief for British Columbia owners of recreational property and vacation homes and cabins. And I think you're right, Shane. I think it'll be coming perhaps even before the legislature returns in early April. Uh, Keith, what are you hearing? Yeah, same thing. Uh, they want this issue dealt with before the House comes back. They don't, the Liberals have been pretty effective in the House, battering them over the head over over this. And I'm hearing the same thing. Vaughn's hearing that. Uh, talked to a minister yesterday. No, vacation properties are not the, the, supposed to be the focus of this tax. British Columbians who pay income tax in BC, I don't think are going to be penalized for owning a second uh, property. So, uh, but you know, we'll see. Carol James, uh, John Horgan said a couple of days ago, uh, Carol James will make an announcement in the coming days, and I expect that's going to be. Uh, what she's going to say. Keep in mind, this tax only brings in, I don't want to use the word only, but $200 million. It's not a huge amount of money. So there's a lot of, I think, maneuverability there for Carol James to have some exemptions, maybe lose $50 million or whatever it is off the the, uh, expected revenue stream, but that's not going to put her budget into deficit. So she's got some room to maneuver. And I think maneuverability means not taxing British Columbians' vacation homes. Yeah, Bender, any changes there that might actually tax speculation? Because I'm of the opinion this is basically a vacancy tax and doesn't really tax speculation. 
Yeah, and I think a, a lot of people would agree with you there. Uh, what the government does need to come out is, I know they have that tax information sheet on their website that just really created a lot more confusion. What they need to do is get really clear on this. And John Horgan and Carol James over the past couple of weeks keep saying, listen, we also are getting a lot of support they're saying they're claiming for this tax because people want to see speculators tax well i think they need to prove that that's exactly what this will do or at least that there is some sort of a, a measure in here to try and stop that yeah absolutely i think it's a big issue that uh, is going to continue to bite them in the butt if they don't deal with it yeah. uh, guys we're out of time uh, appreciate uh, hearing from all of you as always and look forward to chatting again next friday Take care. Bye, Shane. There we go. There's Keith Baldry, Vaughn Palmer, and Binder Sudgeon here on Inside Politics. We're going to take a quick break on the show. On the other side, uh, the BC Green Party not very happy on this LNG thing. We're going to hear directly from leader Andrew Weaver. Radio NL. RadioNL.com. Local. First. Keeping you informed from both sides. For Kamloops Computer Center, this is Radio NL's Inside Politics with Shane Woodford. Good morning and welcome back. Always a pleasure to talk to Andrew Weaver, the leader of the BC Green Party, who joins me on the phone now. Good morning, sir. Good morning, sir. How are you? Very well, of course. <laughs> How's your stress level these days? I'm getting a little worried. Stress level's good. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's frustrating at times, but, uh, you know, I believe my role is to tell the truth and actually outline what is really going on here so the British companies have a sense of uh, what's at stake. All right. Um, I want to parse out some of the stuff from yesterday on the LNG thing. Uh, number one, uh, I want to make sure I have your position down correctly. You're obviously not happy. Uh, you've stated multiple times uh, this year alone that if they push forward an LNG, that thing is uh, is basically going to cost them the confidence of your party. You've deferred to the fall on the uh, basically hanging your hat on uh, a climate action plan to get a 40% GHG reduction by 2030. That's what you want to see from the province, correct? So we have a confidence supply agreement, and in that agreement, one of the things, it's predicated on the NDP delivering on that. So yes, that's correct. Okay. Uh, so uh, as I understand, part of that component is would be, and to correct my numbers here if I'm wrong, but that would require, if an LNG project comes on board, there's question marks there, we'll have to see what LNG Canada does, uh, but if an LNG project comes on board, uh, that would then require a 50% reduction in GHG emissions from all other industries outside of that, is that correct? That's correct. Okay, so here's the question to you. Oh, it's all other aspects of the economy. Uh, you know, so one four-train LNG facility coming on would be equivalent to 50% of all other industrial emissions everywhere in BC. Yeah. And in fact, uh, but in order for us to meet our target, 50% of emissions have to be cut not only in industry, everywhere across our economy. Okay, so here's a simple question to you. Can that be done by 2030, which is the deadline you're, you're, you want to see action on? I do not believe that is possible. So if that is not possible, um, why even wait to see what the NDP does? Well, we have a problem. Uh, clearly, you've articulated a problem. The BC NDP, as you know, uh, in the last uh, couple of years, hurled abuse at the BC Liberals for what they and I, frankly, called a generational sellout where our resources essentially given away in a desperate attempt to land an LNG industry. And now what we find out is the BC NDP have taken that up a notch. They're saying that we're going to make that sellout even greater. We're going to, for example, 
give LNG Canada if they go forward. 5.4 cents a kilowatt hour for new electricity, and it's such a lot of electricity that we can't deliver it unless we build Site C. And what will Site C do, of course, it's going to cost the ratepayer, that's you and I, of the order of 13, 12 to 15 cents a kilowatt hour to build. And for every kilowatt of power that we sell to uh, to LNG Canada, we'll be losing 50% of them of the money involved. Bad business case. They're going to exempt them from the carbon tax increase. Well, you and I have to pay that, but LNG doesn't when they exempt them from PST and the infrastructure. Oh, really? That's, you know, tell that to somebody buying a car that they have to pay the PST. And the reality is what people have, need to understand is that two years ago in British Columbia, the net revenues to this province from all royalties and all licensing fees from all of our natural gas was negative $300 million. That is, we lost $300 million because we are so desperate to go with the previous government and now the present government to land an industry that would not otherwise be here, that we've literally given away tax credits to the tune of $3.2 billion. We will not be earning anything from, from LNG or natural gas in British Columbia. Okay, but here's the question, Andrew. Do the NDP have you over a barrel on this? You're obviously upset about it. I get it. I get your stance. No. But you, you've 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 repeated uh, uh, this New Year alone. And I'll read a January tweet because I think it sums it up. This is what you tweeted in January. If the BC NDP caucus continue the generational sellout embodied in the LNG folly of the BC Liberals, their government will fall. But on the other hand, the Liberals support LNG. The NDP don't seem terribly worried about your position and and you're hanging your hat on them delivering what you've described as the impossible. So what are your options here, if any? Our options are very clear. And what I said before, what I say now, we have a confidence supply agreement which forms the, base, forms the basis of our support for the BC NDP. The BC NDP will have broken that agreement if they cannot deliver the climate plan that they said they would, and we would lose confidence in this government. Right now, we stand with a position where we have demanded to see that climate plan that they have, that plan to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 40% by 2030 and 80% by 2050. Show us that plan. We recognize it can't be done overnight, but we're not going to wait forever for that plan. And frankly, the BC Greens ran on a point of principle here. We believe that in politics, you need to be honest, you need to put your principle first, you need to do what you say, and you need to stop spinning British Columbians and stop desperately trying to play games. Literally, this is all about Mr. Horton trying to deliver an LNG plant that Christy Clark couldn't, just like Mr. Trudeau is trying to deliver that pipeline to the coast that Mr. Harper didn't. It's about putting politics first. It's not good economics. It's not good public policy. And we will not support it. And frankly, we, we've already signaled out that we will support none of the measures that the BC NDP bring forward to try to continue this fiscal uh, sellout as well. Yeah, but the Liberals will support it, so it's going to pass in the House, I, likely doubt that the Liberals would support it either. The Liberals brought in an LNG income tax framework that the BC NDP are proposing to eliminate. And Mr. Wilkinson, the, the leader, has said that they will bring forward their amendments to such legislation that NDP might put in. We're saying flat out we're not going to support it. If they're going to bring in amendments and the NDP aren't going to support that, we, we have a problem. And the problem is, is, that, is, is that the BC NDP campaigned on one thing, and are now doing the opposite. And this is quite fundamental to our confidence supply agreement, which means our confidence in their government is at risk here if we don't deliver what, the, that strategy to reduce emissions. Let's also recognize this isn't about saying no. We are, we're talking about 900 full-time jobs. Money investment is not in BC, it's in Asia, because uh, LNG Canada is going to Canada to get an exemption for steel tariffs so that they can build everything in, the, in Asia and then ship it here. 900 full-time jobs. 
Let's, let's put that in perspective with a recent supercluster announcement in BC, which is $15 billion investment in BC and 50,000 jobs. So we're hung up because of the, the, the fact that we still think somehow that our economy is based on what happened yesteryear as opposed to the new opportunities we have going forward. And this is why we're, we will not support making our economy back in time, hampering future generations with debt so that we can simply play political games. Okay, so here, here's a basic question for you then, Andrew. If you don't get the impossible, what you've described as the impossible, delivered this fall and see a plan that works for you to reduce GHG emissions, which sounds like is not going to happen, then will you bring the government down on the next available confidence vote, yes or no? Uh, well, it's, it's more, we can, we, it doesn't have to wait till the spring. There's no need to wait till the spring. There are legislative tools that would allow for confidence to be called at any time in the legislature. It could be this spring. It could be in the fall. It could be on any given day in the legislature. There's, there are numerous ways that you can do that. Um, we, we, we hope, uh, we want, what we want, of course, is we want the government to develop. We, we want to work and get that climate plan in place to deal with the greenhouse gas emissions. Because it's an incredible economic opportunity. And we, we, we are prepared to work to do that, but what we're not prepared to do is sell out future generations purely for political game and cynical political game in the present. So um, confidence can be tested any day in a legislature sitting. Okay, so am I correct in assuming that if you don't get what you want, then the next available confidence vote, the NDP will not have your support, correct? It's not, a, it's not about what we want, Shane. It's about what we have agreed to as, a, as in our confidence supply. No, I, I get that. This, this forms the foundation of our of our support of an NDP government, they have. If they do not deliver this, they will have lost our confidence. We will put in a vote of non-confidence, and there are means of ways we can do that. And government will indeed fall, assuming that the BC Liberals also would support a vote of non-confidence. Right now, it's premature to say that that's coming because we we said, show us how you're going to make the greenhouse gas reduction targets. Yeah. Uh, they said they can. I don't believe that they can, but I want to see how they think they can, and we'll let the public decide after the fact, if there's truth to these numbers or not. Okay, quick question to uh, finish off with you, Andrew. Uh, next week, it sounds like we're going to get an announcement from Carol James on uh, some changes to the speculation tax. We obviously don't know what they are. I know from talking to you in the past, you're not a big fan of what's on the table right now. What changes do you want to see tabled? Well, I, I can't, we, we have spent many, many hours um, conveying information, meeting with minister staff, um, trying to repair a lot of the frankly, reckless economic uh, approach that the BCNDP have taken on this. So I, I, I'm not able to talk about um, some of these things because some of these discussions have been us listening to British Columbians bringing them forward. I will say that a lot of the changes you will see have been because of direct input from the BC Greens. Uh, and, and let's just see, let's just leave it at that. But we were not happy with the way it was done. It was not a speculation tax. It was simply a paper wealth tax. It wasn't targeting a problem. The problem was vacant homes. It was it was it was blindly hitting people who might have a vacation property uh, somewhere. It's 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 hitting regular British Columbians, and many of these issues will be addressed. With do we support the entire approach? No, but do we think it'll be better than it's been originally proposed? Yes. Okay, so what we see next week is going to be better in your mind, in the BC Green Party's mind, than what we have now. Yes, and what we what we said all along is what British Columbia needs is to do what New Zealand has done is we recognize what the problem is. The problem is offshore money flowing into our real estate, parking it here as an investment. And we have proposed a ban on offshore capital flowing into British Columbia in the short term 
just like New Zealand and Australia have done, until such time as we get a stabilization on our, on our, our housing market, and then we can reconsider it. That's what we need to do. But, there are people, but, but that requires strong leadership, and that's what we're hoping that we'll see. I'm not sure that the weak, the tepid response that we're going to get uh, next week is going to actually do what it's meant to do either. But it's better than what it was. That's All right. what I'm hoping to see. Okay, Andrew, always a pleasure. Thank you, sir, for your time. Thank you, Jim. Okay, that's BC Green Party leader Andrew Weaver, and that's it for this week's edition of Inside Politics. We'll see you again right here on Radio NL next Friday. The Valley's first choice for local news. CHNL, 610 AM in Kamloops, and streaming online at RadioNL.com.